This podcast contains adult themes and potentially triggering content. You're a survivor. You are whole. You complete yourself. Hi, I'm Rosa Martin, and welcome to the Dear Survivor podcast. This show hosts conversations with survivors of sexual violence, exploring how trauma has shaped their lives moving forward. Hi, so today we have Adrian joining us from New York. Adrian, can you introduce yourself for our listeners? Yeah, so I am a freshman at Bennington College this year. Um, studying advancement in public action and photography. Um, and I've, I mean, I've kind of wanted to be a part of this project since I saw it when they, when she first started it. So, yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. Uh, thank you so much for, for saying that. And Adrian here has been such an asset to my project. All of the progress the last few weeks has all really been because of her. So thank you so much for all, all the work that you've done. And Adrian here has also done a lot of advocacy work um, for survivors. So do you mind sharing what those things are? Um, I'm not really sure how I got into all this. <laughs> but well, so we're trying to hire a Title IX um, coordinator full time on campus. So I've been, I'm on the search committee for that um, and interviewing them. And I've talked to other Title IX coordinators from other campuses to see um, their different ways of approaching it and educating the community about about Title IX. Because if you try to read through Title IX, it's super confusing. Can and, you tell them what Title IX is real quick? Oh, yeah, sorry. Title IX is what all campuses have to follow um, for like protocol of sexual assault. So it's designed to help the victim but it's it doesn't always work that way i guess um there's mandated reporters on campus and there's uh privileged like people you can talk to who don't have to report anything but if you make a report through the school you get to choose if you go to the cops or if the school um handles it say like you you don't want to go to the cops with it but you want you don't want to run into this person that sexually assaulted you so the school could make different schedules to make sure that your paths don't cross on school grounds. I don't know. It's very debatable. And if it's more helpful or harmful, the people at on campuses were feeling like these perpetrators were not getting the punishment that they deserve. But if a survivor decides that they don't want to go public with their story or they don't want to go to the cops, then there's nothing really that the school can do to fix that so it's not the school's fault but the survivor doesn't want to come forward and say this was my decision either so basically i'm just trying to help the campus and other students understand that a lot of title nine really leaves a lot of the decisions up to the survivor and lets them decide what what path they want to take um and it's not really the school to blame because it's a government thing. So I've been working with that. And then I've been working with you for the last few weeks on the Dear Survivor Project, which has been amazing. Um, and then I don't know where I'll go from here. So. I mean, I just kind of want to comment on the school stuff real quick. I, it just seems really complicated because like, like you don't know what your options are. And suddenly there's so many options and what kind of consequences should these perpetrators have um and like who gets to decide and how do you decide it and of course like it gets so messy because people always want quote-unquote evidence and mm -hmm. and like how do you make school regulations that cover all of those areas that sound super overwhelming especially like these i mean you've just gone through this very traumatic event like you're not if someone comes in and starts telling you all these things and it's you have like no capacity for that at the time it's super it's it's horrible but I feel like in my case I was in high school when it happened so title nine wasn't involved but 
I didn't say anything for a year and a half after it happened. And the only reason that I spoke up after that time was because my friend, who was two years younger than me, came to me and said, this happened to me. And then I had that guilt of like, oh my God, if I had said something when it happened like a year and a half ago, it would have stopped this from happening to her. And I like that's title that happens a lot with Title IX because the survivor's so overwhelmed and they say, I don't want to do anything about this because I just want to move on with my life. This isn't my responsibility. But at the same time, how do you stop that, hold that person responsible and stop them from doing that to somebody else? Yeah, I mean, that's true. I think that's an overwhelming guilt that survivors have. You know that a perpetrator just doesn't do this one time. You know, this is a cycle. It has been going on all of their lives and there's multiple victims in their wake. And and then, you know, the onus is on you to stop it because you could have broken the cycle. But like, that's also way too much responsibility to yeah. put on one person <laughs> who's just trying to survive this awful moment. But at the same time, you, you also can't stop yourself from thinking that way um, because how else can we move the needle forward? And it's, it's very hard. It's very complicated. And, and I think regardless, there is no wrong action for any survivor. You just do what you have to do to survive. And, and if that means holding that person accountable in whatever means you feel like would resonate with you, then that's fine. And if, if right now it's not the moment for you to do that, then that's fine too, you know? Mm-hmm. But like, I think other people who don't have this experience just have so much opinions on on how we should move forward and how yep. we should have handled it and yeah it's it's very just easy to say those things but in reality like it's really not yeah it's it's super hard <laughs> i mean it must be you know in some ways empowering to like be able to impact your school like you you have a lot of insight of what people need um, so that you can kind of think about all of these nuances that other people might not have thought about in how they structure Title IX in their school. But also, I feel like that's also a lot of responsibility for you. And I hope that you're taking care of yourself (laughs) as you, you know, as you always kind of dive into a lot of like survivor stuff. I hope you have time to also like pause step back and and do your own thing because you don't have to be everything for everyone too you know I hope that you know that (laughs) (laughs) yeah I that's something that I've also been working on I kind of dove into all this without realizing totally what I was getting myself into I guess um it all happened kind of quickly um but when you start like it was a lot of research to start with and just educating myself on Title IX and the like numbers for my school and other universities. And it, it was a lot. And I had, would have to like pause and be like, okay, you got to like give yourself a break and go for a hike or something because it, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel the same way. Like, honestly, like after I did my project, I started the Dear Survivor project and I was like going full steam ahead. And and I, you know, I think once you you start yourself in like the social justice path, you just like you just go full steam ahead, mm-hmm. and you know, it, like one thing leads to another, and it becomes bigger and bigger, and you're just like, I don't know, I just I just want to keep going, I'll keep going. To be honest, there are some parts of the pandemic that I'm grateful for because the pandemic forced me to honestly stop, pause, you know, and really take stock of of myself, of what's happening, of what I can actually truly handle. So I think like, you know, this project has slowed down a lot and, and I'm like glad for it because, because I realized I couldn't be everything for everyone all the time. And I just like needed to, you know, to pause and, and just be really mindful about certain decisions that I made like even this podcast I had this like crazy idea oh I'm gonna do a monthly podcast and I'm gonna have 10 episodes per season (laughs) and what I think I'm on episode four right now and it's been like what six months or longer (laughs) and I realized yeah like it's there's no rush this is not a race you just kind of do what you can when you can um and it's gonna be all right so 
yeah, but yeah, absolutely. it's a it's a hard lesson to to learn once once you 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 like keep going and and I hope and I hope that that's something that you know you can also do that. Um, and I think some sometimes people don't tell us like like sometimes we feel like we need permission to like slow down and pause, um, but in reality we we don't. But but yeah, yeah, I think I I just am passing on some some stuff since I definitely see a lot of myself in you too as <laughs> as you do a lot of work in um in the social justice world yeah yeah it's it's I had the same thing with the pandemic I mean with this work but also just life in general and it was like thank god <laughs> thank god we can pause for a minute because it was helpful mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so usually for this podcast I ask my guests to write a survivor message or maybe make art for the episode that kind of resonates with them in the moment. Do you mind sharing what you wrote? Yeah. Um, so I said, dear survivor, you are whole. You complete yourself. Oh, that's really, that's really powerful and really beautiful. Um, I guess what, what made you decide to kind of say that to yourself? Is there kind of, anything that made you reflect on you know that message and that being something important for you to hear right now yeah after um I was sexually assaulted it felt like a part of me was missing um to myself but also to my friends they they would come up to me and be like what's going on you're not yourself um and for me it just it just felt like I wasn't like part of me belonged to him afterwards um like he had stolen something from me and lately it's just kind of been like trying to take back what is mine and become completely my own person yeah I think I think that's super important you know to try to find yourself afterwards and you know what does that mean and what does rebuilding mean and all of these like super important questions and I guess how to how does that rebuilding look like for you now? For me, it was a lot of, um, I turned to art a lot. And at first, well, for the first like year and a half, I just completely blocked it out and tried to pretend it didn't happen, which is not effective. <laughs> so I turned to artwork and I wrote about it and I made a photo series and I worked with different friends and different survivors who either knew what was going on or had felt the same things and we just we built a really great community and just having them to talk to and to rebuild with and work together with was super helpful. Oh that's great that's great to hear that you found community I feel like that's one of the things that becomes really hard when you like when something like something really horrible happens to you you like kind of lose the ability to speak or or be empowered to like talk about it or you know there's a lot of shame involved and and I'm glad that you found like people to like be your yeah, community yeah, yeah how are you feeling good it, okay. it's weird to to talk about it I've never like I've never talked about it before <laughs> um I feel like right now in where I'm at I mean it's been almost four years since it happened and I'm in a very like different it's so weird to look back like over the past four years and see where I was each year at this time and right now I feel like I'm doing so much better with it and my focus is really more on like the social justice work and moving forward and I think really right now I'm just kind of learning like you said to take it one step at a time and do what you can but also you know give yourself a little bit of a break and I'm also still learning you know how to have these type of conversations and open up about things and talk to other survivors which has been super healing but it can also be super exhausting much further ahead (laughs) now that was good I'm, I'm really glad to hear that how did how did it like when did you first start talking about it after it happened to you and like how did it feel to to talk about it um okay how do I start so when I was younger I think there's a lot some other stuff that happened then that time I was just really really young 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so I didn't really say anything. Um, when I was like a very young teenager, I was assaulted then too, and I didn't say anything. Um, I had I grew up in the Philippines where, you know, it's super Catholic, it's super patriarchal, um, and you know our school was run by nuns, so it was just super conservative. That's wow. essentially how I grew up. Uh, so I didn't really have a lot of understanding at the time. I had, you know, my understanding was like rape happens in the dark you know, when you don't know a stranger grabs you, you know, like that because you wore a short skirt, you know, like that's literally like, it Jeez. seems crazy now <laughs> that as a teenager, that's honestly what I thought that that was it. So like coming to America, I was like, super innocent. And and then as a, as a I guess, in my mid 20s, when it happened again, I was like, this seems wrong. I'm pretty sure it's wrong, but I'm not sure. Um, so really the next night after that happened, I immediately told my friend, you know, I think this happened to me. Um, and she did not react in a good way. Essentially, she, essentially what I know now is like victim blame and shame me, but she was also a, she was also a person who grew up the same way I grew up. She does not live in the U S so, so now I can also like understand why those reactions were the were what happened but of course at that time you know that's not what I needed um so then I kind of I kind of started telling people because I really wanted to be validated like I kind of knew it was wrong but I wasn't sure because I've never said anything about it so then I started telling more friends and all of my closest friends at the time grew up in the Philippines and they were, we were all raised in that way. So everybody essentially reacted the same way. And which was why I kind of did my project because I also am a person, I was socialized to be a nice person. So like, I, I'm not like, I, I thought that anger is not a healthy emotion to have. Like I have to be level-headed and I have to teach you that I think this is important. So then I kind of started doing my project so that I can communicate to these people that <laughs> this is what I'm going through. Can anybody hear me, understand me? So that's kind of how this project came to life. Um, um, and also just trying to express myself because I really couldn't explain how devastating it was. I was very good at having like a poker face, you know? Mm -hmm. um I'm very good at dissociating and like I can say things very nonchalantly so people don't think it's a big deal but like internally it's a big deal um so I think photography kind of gave me a better way to really communicate that stuff um yeah wow that's crazy and I feel like and because I so when I uh, actually, it was college when I was started researching all the Title IX stuff and um, like different def like you had to go through all the different definitions of um, rape versus sexual assault versus sexual harassment, and it wasn't until like three months ago where I was like, I was raped, like, and that was like a huge like it blew my mind because I just had never thought of it like that and I had never like defined it but and I knew I mean I I didn't grow up like that to that that extreme that you did but I did like everyone here you grow up going to Catholic church and everything and it was the first time that I had ever um told anyone it was kind of a similar situation it was my best my best friend at the time and we were in the locker rooms at the high school and I was like this is what happened to me on the bus and we were all from the same friend group and she was like he would never do that and walked away and that was it and then she went back out into the um like the lunchroom and sat down next to him and they were talking and laughing and I was like okay so it's and then it makes you think like this isn't a big deal like it's you're overreacting and 
so you just I feel like that makes it harder obviously it makes it harder for people to say anything but I think that's why part of the reason it took me so long to to say anything at all wow uh, first I want to say I'm really sorry that happened to you that's super messed up to like tell somebody your story and for them to like blatantly not believe you you know I think it was super brave, um, you know, to tell somebody you trust. And also, that must have been super painful, you know, to have your best friend just turn your back at you like that and just disregard your truth and your story. Um, but yeah, I think it's all it's always so shitty that when the people we trusted the most react the worst. Yeah. Um, I think that's that's definitely like the hardest part and that took me a really long time um to process you know at, at therapy and especially like some people who are also survivors and then you tell them that and they also don't react well and it's like confusing so much it's so confusing yeah, yeah. i actually learned this kind of a few years ago i think my therapist told me that sometimes like people revert back to their original selves like they react the way other people reacted to them so it's like this awful like cycle like you're not you're not reacting in a way that you wish people react for you it's actually the opposite because then it brings you back to that trauma place and you just like lash out which is understood like your brain can understand it but like that doesn't lessen the hurt you know yeah how did your family fit in all of this? Were they able to support you during this time? Yeah, um, they tried to. I feel like, I mean, they hadn't really, they didn't really know how, how to support me. And sometimes when things happen, I, I tend to just completely shut down rather than being like, this is what I need. It was just, I kind of froze and um, my father was is a state trooper, which made it more complicated because like these police that are coming to talk to us are people who I've grown up with and who like come to our house for parties and stuff. And it's like you have to sit there and tell them a very detailed account of what happened. And that was really hard. And my mom was really trying to be there for me but she's also very protective and hates to see any of her kids hurt so sometimes she would you know go after people who said things and to me that's just not the I felt like that wasn't how I wanted to handle things because then things tend to blow up a little more um but it was really a lesson in communication I guess just trying to tell them this is what I need and that's not what you're giving me right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Because I feel like everybody, I think another part of trauma that people don't talk about is like how loved ones are affected and how loved ones affect you. Um, and, you know, of course, they're entitled to their feelings. But, but sometimes the burden becomes on you to like carry everyone through because they, they don't quite understand but they're also reacting and and how does it all fit in the greater picture of actually finding support for yourself and and finding what you need you know yeah it was definitely challenging because it at the time you're just worried about trying to get yourself through it i i wasn't even thinking about how my family would be affected and how they it was something they had to go through as well I don't know. It's hard to be there for more than one person at a time. And I, I come from a family of five and we're all very close. And it's like trying to be there for, for everyone at the same time. It was challenging. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My, I don't know, my family, like I said, they tried to be supportive of it, but um, I feel like they just didn't really understand. But I think also that's been like the biggest thing for me. I think going into this as well was like I didn't realize how long and time consuming the whole, whole healing process would be and 
that was like I feel like when it first happened I was like okay I'm just gonna ignore this and it'll go away but it doesn't I don't know I feel like everyone that I've talked to that's gone through it what like wasn't prepared for the aftermath I guess that it caused and I feel like my family was the same way like it was about a year ago when I told my mom and I was like this is still bothering me like I'm still afraid and especially like growing up in small town and he still lives here and everything and it was like I'm like I still have these feelings and like these triggers and stuff and she just like couldn't understand that because like I don't know I feel like unless it's happened to you you don't understand like what what it takes after it happens Mm -hmm. did anything ever happen to him yeah he was charged with um forcible touching and child endangerment but um there was three girls that came forward and said that uh, things had happened to them. And at the time he was dating my cousin um, and had like shown up at her house screaming at her and getting like to the point where her mom had to like call the cops. And she was in like complete denial about it like when I I tried to talk to her before um everything like came out um and she completely like ignored me and was like no and then it all like came out and the cops were around and she still just like was like no like he wouldn't do that and so I feel I don't know it was just hard like all of his because we all had the same friends. I mean, my graduating class was 22 kids. Wow. So, like, everybody hung out together. And everyone was very much, like, either I'm on your side or, no, he wouldn't. Like, he wouldn't do that. So. Awful. Yeah, I don't know. It was weird. I guess getting charged, he didn't go to jail. Did you have to do, like, um, court stuff? Did you have to, like, testify and do all those things? I had to make a statement. So when um, the whole thing happened, because we were supposed to be going on a week-long trip to Indiana, um, this club that we were in, and there was a bunch of younger girls going, and my friend had just told me what happened, and I was, like, getting super anxious about it because I I didn't want anything to happen because we were in, like, we shared hotel rooms and stuff. and um, so eventually we went to the teacher and we were just like, we don't feel comfortable with him going on the trip. And that was all we said. And she was like, well, I'll talk to him. But she didn't understand like the severity of it. And then somehow or she must have talked to the guidance counselor who started calling us in and we started to open up a little more. And then the cops came and talked to us at the school. And um, he had a lot of like anger issues and I think drug abuse problems as well. So he was like a little out of control, which terrified me. I mean, when um, we first started talking to the cops, they took him out of the school and had an order of protection, protection against all of us because he had like made threats and stuff. and it was like oh my god because he was my best friend before all this and it was like he knows where I live he's been to my house like it was it was terrifying um but yeah so then the cops came and talked to me at my house um that night and I had to make a statement but I never had to like testify in court or anything like that but yeah my friends had to talk to the cops as well about what they had heard and the things he'd done so I guess do you feel like you I guess was that the kind of justice that you wanted and do you feel like you got it um that's that's a hard question because I feel like looking back I I think I blocked out a lot of what had happened as well and like I just 
didn't really I don't know I feel I had blocked out a lot and I I just didn't admit the whole truth to myself I guess and then it got really kind of confusing because I would remember things and it was like did that actually happen or am I making that up and the whole th- it was really confusing I don't like I couldn't tell what was real from what wasn't and um what I told the cops wasn't the entire truth um so I was glad that he was charged but at the same time like he still went on with his life and he still like he has a girlfriend now and he is living with her someplace and it's like she probably doesn't know anything that happened um so part of me kind of wishes that I had told the whole truth when I went to the police but also I like now I would never go back because that was just so I feel like going to the cops was harder than what had actually happened Mm -hmm. definitely I mean it's it's super vulnerable to try to talk to the cops and they like totally don't get it first of all they totally don't get it they're (laughs) super not sensitive and like you just feel like the whole time they're judging you yeah Yeah. (laughs) and and for what you you know what is like for a small chance of consequence that probably won't happen like you know is it really worth it to the toll on your mental health you know sometimes it's not and so I totally understand why and also I think it's it's so hard to demand that a survivor tell their whole story, you know, especially like the closer it is to when it happened. Mm-hmm. Like you're in shock. You don't remember like you you don't remember everything. And then yeah. after the fact you're like, oh yeah, I should have said that, you know? Yeah. And and they use that as a way to discredit you and your story and and that's not fair, you know? Yeah. And the amount of detail that I mean they have to demand, but it's so it's so hard to because I so I was working um at the same time I would work like seven to eleven at night or whatever. So the cops came that night and we talked to like six thirty and I was supposed to go to work and I had never felt like that mentally exhausted before in my life. Like I didn't even know that that was a thing. I was like, I I can't do it. And it was just so this they ask for so much detail and it's so almost like dehumanizing oh definitely definitely because they they don't see you as a human experiencing this awful thing you know they just want i just want to know i just want to hear it and get on with my work and yeah it's awful i'm sorry you experienced that did you ever go to the police with your story um, yeah, I did um, a few, I think a month or two later. And of course, they asked the dumb question like, oh, why did you wait so long? <laughs> yeah, that's like the worst thing. Um, yeah, nothing happened, which I knew. Um, I knew nothing would happen because I reported where I lived and the person lived in a different place and the event took place in a different place. So it was just very complicated and nobody wanted to take ownership and i finally through some connection i found this police officer who actually worked child abuse cases um and apparently she was like the only trustworthy person in that department who would take my statement so she did take my statement and and they have to mail it to the place where it happened and of course you know i'm sure it's lost I'm sure it's gone. I'm sure nobody even bothered to listen to it. I never heard anything back. Um, so that was that. I, I mean, I came in knowing that knowing that this would be the reality. I just I just went to the police to go to the police to give myself the peace of mind that I did everything that I could. And this that's was the awful. limitation. I don't know yeah. how that's possible. <laughs> I know it's so awful. It's so awful. Um 
Wow. I mean, that was a lot. I mean, how, how did you get through it? <laughs> um, it's, it was, I don't know. It was hard at the time. Um, I had an art teacher that I was super close with and she was like always my go-to person. And she would just listen and be like, yeah, like I'm totally on your side. I hear you. And I feel like that was the most helpful thing through it all because it was just no judgment, no taking sides. It was, I didn't have to worry about like, if I said this, that she was going to go and try to fix it and just having somebody that was, was there for me and also she understood me a lot so when it came uh to healing and trying to figure everything out um she really encouraged me to do that through art which was definitely the biggest help for me mm -hmm. yeah what was that experience like uh photographing yourself um during that time it was super scary at first <laughs> i um my so i never really told my whole story um to anyone like when the cops got involved i never said everything that happened and my family didn't know everything that happened um and i had one friend who really stuck with me through it all because she had been through a similar situation and then i had a male friend who really just stood by our side through the whole thing and just listened to us and was there for us so the three of us got together and i took a photo class with savannah college of art and design my senior year of high school and um we had for our final you had to make a photo series and i decided to do uh, what i called it missing um and it was the three of us that got together and did a whole bunch of pictures of how it how it felt for us as the survivors um, to find healing and everything that comes after the assault. Because I feel like people think that once it happens, like that's it. But I feel like it's a much harder journey afterwards and it's very long lasting yeah for for sure and and i think like yeah i think you know the it's ho very horrible what happens but but people are surprised to learn about the trauma after which is like sometimes just as grievous as what actually happened you know yeah. uh when people you make these offhand comments or just like there's so much societal um biases that that happen and i don't know it just really puts you in in a dark place um and and i could speak for myself too and i think when i when i did my photo project it was really it wasn't really about the assault it was really more about what happens after and losing support and and all of all of these things yeah yeah i feel like that's just as hard if not harder than the actual assault. It's much more time consuming and it takes a lot of work to, to keep going. Mm -hmm. I guess what made you, what made the three of you decide that like photography is the medium, that, that this time is like the time to do it now. I mean, I'm just really curious also like about that process. Yeah, so I, um, we grew up in a super small, super conservative, town and the awareness i mean it's very it's a very poor area and i feel like these things happen a lot more often than they should i mean anywhere but especially here and people don't have the awareness here that they do in cities and stuff because it's a rural area and you don't think of that um that type of stuff happening but me and my friend were both assaulted by the same guy and he went to high school with us and um my junior year was when the cops got involved and kind of the whole school started to talk and find out um so my senior year it was like okay like you have to, i mean we both were like we have to kind of face what happened and work through this because we can't 
ignore it anymore. Like that's not helping us. Um, and photography, for me, I I absolutely love photography. Um, that's my like chosen art form, but also I feel like it helps people to see these they're real people. And it was me and my friend, and I was 15 when it happened, and she was 13 when it happened. So it was like, I'm where this is who we are, and this is what we had to go through to heal. Um, and they were images of of what it really felt like. Yeah, it's super, super powerful. Um, the work is really moving, and I think even the text really gives you like a stronger connection to the images because it, it gives you a lot more context of what's going on and and wow um do i have experienced that so publicly you know like in a, in a small town everybody knows each other you all know each other and when yeah. all of that comes out like that must have been super super hard yeah and i feel like that was kind of what made it harder was just these people who I mean, everyone chose sides and we, her and I were both, you know, it is a small school and everyone knows everyone and everyone knows each other's family. So everyone knew us and everyone knew him and everyone was choosing sides and either believing him who said, who said he didn't do it or believing us said he did. And it was just, I feel like that made it so much harder than it had to be. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And like, for some reason, when a story is public, people feel that their opinion matters <laughs> and their opinion about you matters. And, and it doesn't. You're not involved. If you're here to not su be supportive, then, you know, that's not welcome energy. And, and yeah, that must have been really, really hard. Um, so I guess how does it feel to come home then in your hometown when you know is, like, do you feel triggered every time you're there? You do you try to avoid going home? Yeah, um, this was <laughs> this actually turned into a huge argument with me and my mom when I first got home. Um, I kind of dread coming home every time that I have to, and my whole family's here, and it's like it's not that I dread seeing them, but that's what they take it as. And I there was one day remember what it was I was home and something had happened and I was like I just can't wait to get out of this place and my mom like took that very offensively and was like this place like sorry we raised you in such this horrible place and all this and I was like it's it just has so many reminders of things that I don't <laughs> want to remember and it's like so this summer I had already decided like I am not coming home this summer and I got a job in Colorado that provided housing so I didn't have to come home but I don't know she she doesn't understand and I don't I don't know how they they can do it I mean my mom and my dad both grew up around here and it was like I could never imagine coming back here to live here after everything that happens like I would do everything in my power to stay out of this town. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's definitely under understandable. And I think one of the other things people don't talk about is like the people supporting us also like need help. And sometimes they need professional help to also process what they went through. Like my partner, I mean, I talk, it took, a, it took me a really long time to convince him that he also needed to go to therapy. Like mm -hmm. it's not just me. You also have to go like this affects our, you know, our home unit and this is what we need um yeah, yeah i actually asked my parents that once like do you, you want to go <laughs> <laughs> they're like no that's you know again they they have a certain kind of mentality of who are the people who go to therapy which is not yep. at all the current state of the world like everybody should have it honestly. yeah <laughs> my parents are the same way but i don't know and it was it's not even like so he's moved um to a different town with whoever she's living with them but there were so many different people involved in that case and I feel like after it was all over I kind of caught all of them out of my life or at least like 
distance myself from them, which I felt really bad about because they didn't do anything. And a lot of them were, you know, trying to be there for me through it all. But it was just like this constant reminder of what had happened and who, like, who they were when it happened and everything. And um, now I'm like back here in this town and I run into them and I'm working at the school during the day and seeing all of them and seeing like I drive past his house and I like the school where it happened and it was like I don't know I feel like everything reminds me of what happened and it it's not that I hate the town that I grew up in like I think a lot of the people here and everything are amazing but it's still super triggering for me oh yeah definitely I mean I think people just don't understand that and unfortunately take it personally but it's not about them it's about what this town and what these places represent um yeah yeah, and it's and it's super valid to be triggered every time you see those things because like yeah you don't want constant reminders of your you know of the worst day of your life right yeah 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 so that's been I know that was interesting because that was like well, growing up, it was always like I couldn't wait to to move, but I feel like that's every teenager. Like everyone's like, oh, I can't wait to get out of here, especially like a small town. This it's a boring place to grow up, <laughs> but um, I don't know. I feel like everyone now that they've kind of been away for a little bit, everyone's like, can't wait to come home and get back. And I just had one of my friends reach out to me yesterday, who I hadn't heard from since we graduated, and she was like oh, I miss, you know, everyone that we graduated with and I didn't think I would. And she was like, can we grab lunch or something before you go back? And I was like, yeah, but I can't wait to go back. Like, I can't wait to get out of here again. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's true. That's true, especially if, like, you found safer spaces to be in. Like, why would you subject yourself to a place that is full of triggers? Yeah, it's super, super natural to feel that way, for sure. So I guess how are you taking care of yourself these days? What do you what do you like to do? What is like self-care for you like? If I I'm, I mean the biggest thing for me I feel like is if I ever need to give myself a break, I love to just get outside and go for a hike is my biggest thing. Um I also started seeing a therapist a year ago which I was at first like completely I was like completely against it and now it's been like one of the most helpful um things i have and it just i meet with them once a week and it's great i love just reading and writing if i ever feel like i need to like talk about something or get off my chest writing is a huge thing for me um yeah what about you what do you do for self-care um i do kind of A little bit of everything depends on the mood. Like I do a lot of reading. Um, I sometimes I feel very present when I read or sometimes I use it as a way to like dissociate also like it's like my mindless television. I read a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes I do yoga and mindfulness type things, but it doesn't always work for me. Um, I feel like I need activity. Um, So I've started doing like more intense workouts to like just release a lot of like that anxiety and stuff like that (laughs) but then I learned that like like I feel like my body holds a lot of like the trauma so then I like after working out my body tends to like lock like my muscles really like tend to freeze Mm -hmm. so then this just probably like in the last two months I started doing like baths which I was hard in the beginning because it was like too slow for me <laughs> to stay in a bath long enough. But now I love it, so I do a lot of baths. Uh, um, yeah, I think I think um, sometimes I bake bread, but I don't eat a lot of bread, so I just bake it for people. <laughs> just give it to them. <laughs> um, and I have two two Shibas who are so silly and just love to cuddle, so they're my cuddle friends yes um, I have a yeah. black lab or setter that I love <laughs> she's like my go-to mm-hmm. yeah I think I mean animals are great I have my one dog she 
is my emotional support dog. She's not very smart, but when you're like real emotional, she actually knows to come to you, which is really sweet. <laughs> and my one dog is the smart athletic dog, but has no emotional IQ whatsoever. <laughs> so if you're being emotional, she's gone. She's not even here. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Mm -hmm. I guess, um, what do you envision moving forward? Like, what do you hope for your healing process? Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, like I said before, I, I did a year ago even. I, this is not where I thought I would be. <laughs> I didn't imagine myself getting so involved in, um, these type of projects I guess it's just not what I had in mind but they just kind of keep like falling into my lap and um it, I kind of I, I enjoy it I mean it's makes me as I'm like reading these different cases and statistics and different laws and stuff and it makes me very angry and I'm very I think I still have a lot of anger but like you said, like, that's just not something that we're supposed to feel. And it's trying to turn that anger around into something different and make a difference. Um, so I guess I feel like I'm going to keep going with these type of projects, which I don't know. I think it'll be, I think this will end up being a huge part of what I do you know after college um I feel like this is how I helped myself heal in the most efficient way is helping other other people and trying to do what I can to to change things mm -hmm. yeah I mean I, I think that's a very noble plan um I don't know that I had those thoughts when I was in college. I mean, I, I like I knew I wanted to help people, but like I was very much did not have any direction yet. And it's kind of like awesome that you know what you want to do and kind of have a clear vision, which is great. <laughs> okay, thank you so much, Adrian, for sharing your time, uh, for being really vulnerable. I I think it would be really helpful for the people who are listening in who are going through a lot of very similar things and um, just learning how you navigate everything and how you're navigating things now moving forward is like super, super inspiring. So yeah, thank you for being here. Thank you too. Appreciate it. This is the Dear Survivor podcast with Roseanne Morton. I highly encourage some self-care after listening to this episode. Our website, DearSurvivor.org, offers resources for both survivors and allies. Follow us on Instagram at the Dear Survivor Project. Thank you to Philippe De Silva for the music, Claudine Delphine for the art, and Adrian for being our guest. <laughs>